following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. All right, I would like to begin this morning's talk with a, a little poll. Okay. Put the bookmark in the wrong page, but we'll get there. All right, this is the poll that Scott McKnight uses in this book, which we'll explain in just a minute, but um, let's take the poll publicly. All right, by show of hands, do you think that we should or are required to observe the following commands from Leviticus 19 today? One at a time. Command number one, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Do we think... Raise your hand if you think we have to observe that commandment. Okay, thank you. I'm not actually looking at any of your responses, so you feel totally fine. Uh, Number two, you must observe my Sabbaths. The Sabbath, I will remind you, is Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. I am the Lord your God. You must observe my Sabbaths. Raise your hand if you think we have to observe that one. Okay, I see there's some some, uh, wrist raising on that one. Okay. Number three, when you reap the harvest of your land... Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. How many think we have to observe this? Okay. How many observe this by leaving the returnable cans in the recycle bin? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Number four, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Is this a commandment that we're required to keep today? Okay, a lot more hands on that one. Very, very strong about that. Okay, number five, do not plant your field with two kinds of seed, uh, even if it's in a city, municipality approved raised garden bed. (laughs) And I will put along with that, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. How many think we have to observe this commandment today? Okay, I, I did look that time, I don't see a single hand on that one. All right. Number six, do not eat meat with any... With, with, do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. <laughs> yeah. I see a vegetarian and someone who likes her steak well done, raising their hand. <laughs> Nobody else raised their hand. Number seven, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. I recently did both, and so obviously you know I'm not going to raise my hand. Anybody else who thinks we have to observe this commitment? Okay? Nobody raise your hand. Um, do not put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Okay? I, I do see a hand or two, but I also see uh, other body parts that have tattoos. So we have a... Number nine, stand up in the presence of the aged. We don't have anybody here who is aged. Oh, wait. So <laughs> Nobody thinks we should stand up when Beetle enters the room, right? Um, and finally keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them i am the lord okay how many think that one applies to us today okay i see some hands all right i don't know unless you raised your hand all the other times i'm not sure you can raise your hand on that one we'll see all right well It's easy to dismiss some of those commands, isn't it? After all, they're part of the Old Testament, and uh, it's not like it's the clear command of Jesus, unlike some other commandments like love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or uh, love your neighbor as yourself. 
except, oops, that second greatest commandment that Jesus gives us in response to the question that he's asked, the one to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know what the reference is on that one? Leviticus 19. It's tucked right in the middle of all those other commands. Speaking of Jesus, we could conduct a similar poll about his teachings, couldn't we? Right? McKnight does this a little bit in the book as well. Here, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this time, but here's just the list of things that Jesus says must be true of people who expect to enter the kingdom of heaven. They must have surpassing righteousness. They must do God's will. They must become as a child in humility. They must cut themselves off from whatever is in the way. They must abandon riches. They must separate from the scribes and Pharisees. I don't believe that we all observe every one of those things either. Especially if you start thinking about what riches might have meant in that culture relative to what we have. It's a lot harder to dismiss the words of Jesus as compared to the words of the book of Leviticus. But somehow we manage, don't we? So if it wasn't already clear to you when you walked in the room this morning that we do all pick and choose a little bit which parts of the Bible we want to follow, I think just looking at those two lists probably does make it clear that that's true. And you may have very good reasons why you would pick one and choose one and not this other one or that other one. But the truth is that we do pick and choose. And when we decide that we're going to pick and choose, we need to exercise discernment. And that is what we'll talk about today, this third week of this series. But before we do, I would like to ask you once again to join together in praying this prayer that we've been praying the previous two weeks. Uh, It's a prayer to be prayed prior to reading the scriptures. This is a prayer that you could use in your own devotional practice, and I want us to be using it together today in this series and throughout the, the year. Let's pray these words together. They'll be on the screen. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. So today is the third week in this new teaching series. It's also the third week in our ministry year. Artisan's calendar of ministry begins on July 1st, and so this is the third Sunday of the ministry year. And just as we did last year, we've uh, chosen to weave one common thread throughout all that we do in the coming year. Now, last year, you may remember, we decided that we wanted to focus on living out our mission and God's words uh, beyond our walls. That was the thread that tied everything together last year. And this year, we're aiming to be shaped by the words of Scripture. That's our thematic thread for 2014 and 15, shaped by the words And that theme will be a common thread in everything that we we do, um, not only in how we um, approach sermons and teaching in the service, but in how we encourage you in your own devotional practices in life 
and how we uh, engage together in smaller community, in our small groups, and uh, hopefully in all facets of church life, we will be returning to this theme again and again of being shaped by the words of Scripture. And to help us get started in this endeavor, as you know if you've been around, uh, we are using Scott McKnight's lovely little book, The Blue Parakeet. This is our Artisan Summer Read. And I do have a couple of copies left. I've sold out every copy we've had so far, and I keep buying a few more and a few more. So uh, I have two more that are here today. If you want them, they cost us $13. But uh, if you're able to pay more, you can support somebody else. If you're not able to pay at all, you can take it for free. Please don't let money stop you from reading this book. Also, please don't let the fact that we're in the third week of the series stop you from reading this book uh, because um, most of the people aren't behind in their reading anyway. And it's a book that's worth reading. And again, this is going to be, we're going to be doing this kind of stuff, kind of stuff all year long. So um, come and get these and, uh, before you go today and get reading. All right? It's good stuff. So we kicked off two weeks ago with part one of the Blue Parakeet, which makes the very important point that the Bible is a story. If we want to be shaped by the words of Scripture, we have to understand it as such. And I'm going to come back to this stuff later. I should have told you that ahead of time. Because <laughs> I tricked you. Sorry. Um, but you can leave it there for now. That's fine. Um, because that is something I want you to do. I want you to remember that it is a story. That was week one of the series. Um, I want to stress that that was entirely my fault. <laughs> because I don't give them notes. They're just required to kind of guess. <laughs> It's really not fair of me, and they do a remarkable job of almost never making a mistake. So um, the last thing I'd want to do is make you think that um, the person who's up there right now did something wrong. It's not the case at all. It was me. So the Bible is a story. It's one story told by lots of different voices and lots of different times and cultures and, and so forth. The story, as McKnight describes it, is in five parts, and you could quibble perhaps with the structure if you're a literary critic, and that's fine, but his description of the story's flow is creation, fall, covenant community, which is the part we like to skip over even though it's a thousand pages of the Bible, redemption in Christ, and then ultimately consummation, the completion of God's work in the world. So that's the story. We have to remember that it's a story. Part two, last week we talked about what you do with the Bible, and what we do with the Bible is we listen to it. The words listen and hear are found more than 1,500 times in the Bible. So clearly God's people have a listening problem, right? God's children are just like all the other children. They might hear, but they don't listen. And you can tell that they don't listen because they don't what? They don't act on it, exactly. Listening, as McKnight defines it, requires attention, absorption, and action, can tell he's an evangelical because he did three points and they have alliteration. <laughs> so the Bible is a story. It's a story that we have to listen to, and that brings us to part three, today's topic, which is discernment. Now, as I said earlier, every single Christian person, and the same would hold true for every single Christian organization or denomination, does some amount of picking and choosing with the Bible's commandments and teachings. Perhaps we could 
use McKnight's slightly gentler language, which is that we all adopt and adapt. There's that alliteration again. But regardless of whether you call it picking and choosing or adopting and adapting, it requires discernment. And as McKnight says, I think he's entirely correct, discernment can be very messy. The process of discerning which parts of the Bible apply to you and which parts don't can get very messy. And he lists a whole number of specific topics that the church has gotten into a mess trying to discern over the years and centuries and millennia because this is not a new problem. Now, he points out what I think is an incredibly dangerous folly, which is in trying to discern, you revert to seeing the Bible as a law book to avoid the messiness. Now, that does avoid the upfront messiness. In the same way that not saving for retirement <laughs> improves your financial picture in the short term. <clears throat> but in both cases, you're paying for it on the back end. Reverting to the view of the Bible as a law book rather than as a story of God's work in and through and alongside humanity is an utter tragedy. It's definitely easier in the short term, but it leads to brokenness. It can't help but become a form of oppression and potentially spiritual abuse. And I have talked to enough of you who have experienced this to know that this is a disaster. Considering the Bible as only a law book causes so much brokenness and pain and harm. And yet, I think for most of us, and certainly this is true of our church and of our denominational family of churches, we aren't just going to say, well, whatever, man. Anything goes, just, you know, be nice. Right? The Kurt Vonnegut rule of the world, right? So if we're not going to revert to a law book and we're not going to say anything goes, what are we to do? How do we remain committed and faithful to the Scriptures on one hand and still recognizing that everyone, including, by the way, the characters in the Bible itself, adopt and adapt? How do we navigate these waters? Well, I have some thoughts and ideas, and I will share them with you. You'd be very disappointed if I just told you to go home, right? But I need to revert to my favorite disclaimer, which by now is practically uh, known as the Scott cliche, which is that uh, this next little bit really could be its own sermon altogether. It could be its own series of sermons. Uh, Someone could probably write a book, and people have, about this next bit. And so I... I just can't give it as much depth as I would want to and as you might wish that I had when I'm done. All right. All I can do is present these ideas and remind you that we are going to spend the next 12 months 
trying to live this out as a community. And so hopefully you will see this practice of discernment fleshed out as we look at Scripture together for the next year. And by the way, of course, we're not going to stop looking at Scripture after this year is up, but we're spending it this year with some special attention on it. So here are what I would propose are some practical, or some principles, rather, for discerning what God is saying through the words of Scripture. <laughs> that was, I didn't, I've never seen that one before. I don't even know where that came from. That is awesome. <laughs> Was that flannel graph? Okay. Awesome. I, I don't know how that got there. <laughs> it's a miracle. <clears throat> what was I talking about? <laughs> Discernment. That's our topic for today. Here are some principles that I would propose, uh, and I'm going to try to guide us with in the coming year, for discerning how to read the Bible. All right? So, The first one is to remember that it is a story, and now we can come back to that slide. And most importantly, remember who the central character in the story is. So as people of Christian faith, people who are devoted to Jesus and who seek to follow him, we have, um, by definition, Jesus' lenses, if you will, on when we read the Bible. Even if we're reading a part of the Bible that predates Jesus' earthly ministry, we are people who follow Jesus. Jesus is the Word become flesh. And so if we remember the story and remember that the central character is Jesus, we will have a framework anytime we come across something in the Bible that's shadowy or difficult or hard to understand or seemingly impossible to accept if we see all of those shadows in the light of Christ and His cross, God's pinnacle moment of self-revelation, that will at least give us the direction to go as we interpret and apply those texts. And the flip side of that is any interpretation or application of the Scriptures that doesn't fit with the story of God redeeming the whole world through His Son Jesus that interpretation should be considered suspect and out of bounds. So the first one is remember the story. The second principle that I would propose is to follow the model of the early church when it practiced discernment itself. I don't have time to read the whole scripture But it's one of my favorites. If you've been around Artisan at all, you've heard me talk about this before. I think it is one of the central stories in the Bible. It's a hinge point. It's a a plot twist if you're going to retain the story analogy. The story is that when the early church um, encountered a problem, they had a process of discernment themselves. And you could look to that story and it would be a great model for how we could discern together. The problem was that... uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish individuals, were starting to convert, convert to Christianity, which, of course, as you know, was birthed out of the Jewish faith. And so, in a sentence, the problem was, how Jewish do we have to make these Gentiles before they can become Christians? Uh, one of the most important considerations was the practice of circumcision, which was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant 
very, 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 very clear in the Old Testament scriptures that the people of God circumcised all the males in their community. Gentiles didn't have any such practice because really would you come up with that on your own? (laughs) Nice baby, I have an idea, give him to me. No. (laughs) Uh, That's not in my notes. (laughs) So what did the church do? Eventually they made the decision, short version, that we should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And circumcision is difficult for people who are turning to God. So they abandoned, seemingly, an entire central part of their identity as people of God. They said, we're going to leave this behind because clearly God is doing a new thing. Wow. Do you know how fast they would have been drummed out of certain Christian denominations today for doing that with the scriptures? Okay, so follow the early church. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles to return to God. I love that story so much. The next uh, um, principle that I would suggest and propose is that you follow the model of Paul. This I will read to you because it's brief. It's 1 Corinthians 9. And if you've read uh, the Blue Parakeet up to where we are in the book, you've seen this quoted already. Verses 19 through 23, he says, For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, though I am not free from God's law but am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. This is the uh, Paul as a chameleon passage. And it's just classic Pauline prose, right? Rabbit trail, rabbit trail, come back. But the point is, he was willing to do Anything, act any way, look anything, like anything, so that he could share the gospel and use this lovely term, win people to Christ. Right. Goes back to remembering the story and who the central character is in it. The gospel is primary. He's playing fast and loose with a lot of his traditions, scripture, by doing what he did. I'm sure that he had somebody over his shoulder saying, but that's a slippery slope. Yes, it is. You know where else is a slippery slope? Right on the other side of the hill, going down the other direction. McKnight says, all genuine biblical faith takes the gospel message and incarnates it in a context. I love that he appropriates the use or the word incarnate, right? It's the same thing Jesus did, same thing God did in revealing himself to humanity by becoming incarnate, by taking on flesh and bones. Literally, taking on flesh is what that means, incarnate. 
we have to take the gospel message and incarnate it, put flesh on it in our context. This, by the way, is why our mission statement includes the phrase engage culture. Sometimes people say, oh, you want to engage culture. You must be one of those churches that's just trying to be hip and relevant. Um, have you seen my wardrobe? <laughs> it's really not so that we can try to be hip and relevant. Dear God, has not the church had enough of that? It's so that we can incarnate the gospel message in the culture that we're part of. That's what it should be about. Now, it's, it's probably absolutely true that we have slipped into the desire to be hip and relevant. Okay, as much as I loathe it, we're all guilty of it sometimes. But that's not why it's in our mission. Right. And I have one more principle. That is that we should read in community. You know, the combination of the Protestant Reformation and the invention of the printing press gave us a great gift. How big a rabbit trail is this, by the way? It's in my notes, so don't worry. The combination of those two things, which happened within a century of each other, gave us a great gift because we decided within just a few years that, one, we didn't need the priestly caste to interpret the Scriptures for us, and two, we could all have a copy for ourselves. Not right away. You know, the cost analysis was not quite that fast. But that was a wonderful gift. We no longer had to rely on the priests to interpret the Scriptures for us, and we could, ha- we could find a copy of it. Whereas before, like, owning printed words was prohibitively expensive. But like all good gifts, the gift of the Reformation and the printing press has been twisted and distorted because now we have the danger of the opposite error, don't we? Which is that we've decided we don't need anybody to explain the Scriptures to us. And we've adopted a new posture of interpretation that I like to call me and my Bible under a tree. We all have our own Bibles, we all have our own trees, we all have our own interpretations, and do not bother me, I'm a Protestant. (laughs) You're not the Pope of me. But you know as well as I do that that that's just just as fraught with danger as the the pre-Reformation alternative. You, You want Fred Phelps to have his Bible under a tree and have that be a binding interpretation of the Scriptures? He's a Westboro Baptist guy, by the way. I think he just died recently. They excommunicated him. I don't understand, but me and my Bible under a tree is not a, is not a suitable replacement for the priestly structures of the pre-Reformation Catholic Church. So I would argue for reading in community in three ways, very briefly. First, with your small community. That's us in this room. We ought to be reading the Scriptures together and discerning together. And the second ring out would be with our church's family, which is our denomination. You know, I'm actually quite fond of the way the Evangelical Covenant Church approaches Scripture, although I don't always agree with every interpretation and conclusion they draw. Their approach to it is very sound, I think, and not dogmatic, by the way, which is wonderful. And then thirdly, we ought to read in community with the whole church, capital C. 
which would include not only the global church, but also the great tradition, the history of how the church has read and interpreted Scripture, has to inform our own discernment, discernment process. Right? Now, we are, of course, going to have a lot of tension when we read in community. Me and my Bible under the tree has the advantage of nobody to argue with, right? Unless you have trouble making decisions like I do, then you're like, well, I mean, but the point is, <laughs> you start reading community, there's this tension that comes and we push and pull on each other. We're not always going to agree. We're not even always going to be able to continue in fellowship, perhaps. There will be some times when we have to make intentional breaks that will be imperfections in the continuity that would really be the ideal of Christian community. But generally, if we read in community, humbly, always truly listening to the other voices, the tension that arises out of that will be healthy. And rather than causing pain all the time, what it will do is keep us closer to the center. Because we won't be able to get too far reading in community before someone's going to pull us back a little bit, right? So, remember the story, follow the model of the early church, follow the model of Paul, and read in community. Boy, I had to stop at four. Can't do three because, you know, that would be too predictable. But I had like 17, right? <laughs> Hopefully we'll get to live this out more in the coming year. But those are the four that really, really seem to rise to the top with what McKnight wrote and with how I see our community um, emerging into this um, shaped by the words idea. So there's a lot more I'd love to say, but let's stop there for now. And let's pray and ask God to bless this, um, this endeavor, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for giving us the Bible, for the scriptures, the words that we read on the page. And we confess that it is profoundly challenging to know what to do with it sometimes. Help us to see the story. Help us to listen attentively, absorbing your Spirit's leading and acting on it. And most of all today, we ask for your Spirit's guidance as we try to discern how to apply these scriptures, especially the difficult ones, to our life together as a community of faith. We pray you'd be with us and among us as we discern and read in community. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we continue to worship together for just a few more minutes, our communion table is open now. I've been talking throughout this series about how Jesus and his death and resurrection are the clearest form of God's revelation to us, and that the scriptures, the words of the Bible are the, the best way for us to know Jesus. I think a very close second would be the sacrament of communion, in which we not only remember his body broken for us and his blood shed for us, but also receive those in our souls. Receive the body and blood into your body and into your heart. Our table is open. You do not have to be a member of our church or any church to partake of communion at Artisan. Uh, you simply have to be following Jesus and committing yourself to him and seeking to follow him, however uh, 
well or poorly you may be doing that today, uh, I invite you to come and receive. Here we tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice, whichever is more appropriate for you and for your family. Uh, Our table's open. If you have kids to go get, you are welcome to have them participate in this as well. If not, please get them right after you're done because I went a little bit long and the teachers are probably about to uh, harm me. (laughs) And I will apologize to them later. But let's continue to worship God together in song and at his table and in prayer. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.